0: You're listening to From Woke to Work, the anti-racist journey. My name is Kamala Avala Salmon, and I got to be real with you. A black square on your Instagram does not make you an anti-racist, but there is a path. Join me as I guide you from becoming aware of racial injustice to actually doing something about it. Whether you're an ally ready to take action, or just a Black person looking for someone else to answer all those ally questions, you're in the right place. It's time to go From Woke to Work. Hey guys, welcome back to From Woke to Work, the anti-racist journey. I'm your host, Kamala Avila-Salmon. So as always, let's recap where we are. We're more than halfway through our journey towards true, effective, and committed anti-racism. We've already unpacked and made the case for moving beyond awareness, sympathy, and empathy. And last time, we talked about the fourth stage, reflection. If this is your first time tuning in, please stop and go back to episode one. You really need to understand where we've been to know where we're going. Or at the very least, go back one episode to the one right before this one on the importance of reflection. I truly believe that reflection is one of the most important steps in the journey, and without it, whatever work you're trying to do in the name of racial justice may likely end up being performative at best or counterproductive at worst. So from now on, if you're doing something that you think is advancing racial justice and you get, quote unquote, called out by a Black person, instead of reacting in frustration and shame, I want you to really take it as a cue to go back to reflection and try to figure out what you might have missed. But now that we've made the case for reflection, we need to do what we always do. Light a fire so you don't just chill and set up shop here, thinking and thinking and thinking again, and actually start to move forward and take action. The key thing you need to remember when it comes to the limits of reflection is that thinking and planning and contemplating is not solving racism. At some point, you will need to actually do something. With the benefit of reflection, you'll hopefully do the right something, but you should not be seeking a best ally award just for being thoughtful. So I'm really excited to have our guests here today. John Alston is a former NFL linebacker turned filmmaker who has studied at both Stanford and USC film. So like every dope black person you know, he's doing the most. His short film, Augustus, an inventive film exploring Frederick Douglass's decision to stand up for his rights, our rights, in the face of grave danger Won the Directorial Discovery Grand Prize at the Rhode Island Film Festival, amongst others. I recently watched this film, and it really is a poignant tale of the cycle of anti Blackness that has plagued this nation since its beginning. My second guest is Vince. Vince is the host of the seriously opinionated podcast, While Black, which brings you the real and sometimes raw take on anything happening while Black. He is also a DEI leader at a major tech company and a relentless voice for advancing racial justice. Thank you both for being here.
1: No, thank you. It's a, it's an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to our discussion today.
0: Now, as we get started, when I think about the limits of reflection, a few things come to mind. The first is that while there's a clear portion of reflection that is a solo endeavor, I purposely didn't call it introspection. You should not be doing this alone. It is actually really important to talk to other people about what you're reflecting on, what aspects of race and racism you previously had never considered, what aspects of American history you never knew, and where you're now seeing bias and prejudice and assumptions and yes, racism, even in yourself. You shouldn't be keeping all of this to yourself. You need to share it and not just with other black people, I think one thing that's often frustrated me is when I have a white person in my life who has so much to say to me about systemic racism, but on their social media feed, you'd have no idea that this person considers themselves quote unquote woke. It's all Sunday fun day and boozy brunches and baby pictures. Now there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, but on the Monday after another shooting of an unarmed black person, You really need to say something if you actually are thinking something. Some will explain this as not wanting to be political on Facebook, but that is exactly the problem. Speaking out against injustice shouldn't be political. And if that is political or controversial in your circle, I think you need to ask yourself a set of different questions. If my liberation isn't worth outing yourself to your white friends, are you really committed to it? So Vince, I'd love to bring you in here to speak on this. Why is it important for aspiring allies to actually speak up about what they're learning when it comes to race and racism?
2: So one, that's a question I spent a lot of time actually contemplating. And I don't know that I have one definitive answer.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I have much more of a feeling behind it, right? And And I'll try my best to put that feeling into words. I would say that there are spaces and places that no matter how hard I try or how much education I get or how many attaboys or, or pats on the back I receive, no matter how many times people say Vince is a great guy, there are some people that I'll just never be able to impact. There's some circles I'll never be able to make my way into. And if you're talking about creating allies and the work that those allies can do. One huge part of that is inserting themselves in conversations that you and I will never be invited to. And it's it's so important because if we can only change the people we can touch, we are only changing a percentage of the people who need to be changed. And that leaves all the people they can touch completely unchanged, creating generations of additional people who don't understand why it's important to act in an ally capacity. That would be the first big thing. And the reason I called it a feeling is because there's no manual to tell people how to go out and do this, right? It has to be about empathy. It has to be about understanding. It has to be about relation and relationship. And it's so important for an ally to feel empowered enough to take this message of allyship Mm -hmm. and racial understanding back to the groups of people that you and I can't touch. They have to feel that. You can't go out there and just decide on Monday that I'm going to do it and expect it to be holistically effective because when you just institute a behavior, it ends the moment you forget to continue that behavior. You need a feeling, something innately inside of you that drives you with passion to constantly connect, reconnect, and then reconnect again to drive that understanding and that allyship home. And I don't want to go too far, but, but that's my perspective on, on why allies actually need to speak up when we're not around and to the people that we can't access.
0: I love that because you're so right. I mean, there's so many conversations, as we know, that take place in rooms that you and I are not in and will never be in. And it's so important to make sure that these conversations are happening in those rooms without us. Sometimes it does feel like some of the conversations that happen in our presence are almost for our benefit, almost to kind of get that credit around being woke. And it really needs to be, to your point, a lifestyle that you are truly committed to and that shows up in every aspect of your life.
1: I'm going to start with a very specific opinion to myself and and, and one you may or may not agree with. But I, I don't believe in allies. I don't believe that we need allies. I think for the most part, allies are bullshit. Pardon me if I curse. And I'll and I'll say this in the sense, because allies aren't invested. I need accomplices. Right? I need someone with something on the line. Because an ally, what will happen with allies and what often happens when we talk about quote unquote liberal you know, progressive whites and things of this nature. And look, I went to Catholic school in Louisiana, I've lived in New York, I've lived in Florida, I've lived in Texas for a minute, Southern California. San Francisco, I live all over the United States of America, and I I have a compendium of a diverse friendship with a lot of people, and I love all my people, but I understand people in the United States of America very well, right? And the thing about we have to understand with allies is that an ally will use that allyship basically to take over your movement, right? Because at the end of the day, what we don't understand is that, like, Racial equality threatens the inherent power structure, even of those on the left, as much, just as well as those on the right. The left and the right, the fact that we only have two political parties and the, the fact that we, you know, <laughs> the way our, our political system is set up, you know, wanna take all system, et cetera, et cetera, which like incentivizes extremism, is only meant to divide up the separate sides of white supremacy in the United States of America. Don't fool yourself, Right. But I know plenty of liberal progressives who are just as tone deaf as you want to call them redneck or Republicans on the other side. Right. And they're more dangerous because they don't they will never admit their inherent bias or their ignorances. Right. And so when I say I don't need allies, I need accomplices. That's exactly what I mean, because I want you to have skin in the game. I want you to be invested. Right. Otherwise, any movement that they colonize will only go as far as they want that movement to go as only as far as it benefits them. And past that where it benefits us, you'll never see it.
0: It's funny that you bring this up because we're actually going to get to this part of the discussion as well in a later episode where we sort of unpack the idea of allyship and to exactly your point, why It's a nice start potentially, but it absolutely cannot be the end of the journey because they're absolutely what you said. True anti-racism and truly being an accomplice will require sacrifice. And that is usually the line for many people who identify, especially self-identify as allies. And I think that is something that we absolutely need to unpack because even the example that I brought up of someone who is very willing to talk to their Black friends about race and systemic racism, but is not willing to actually talk to Aunt Becky or talk to Uncle Joe or talk to their Trump voting dad, right? And they're not willing to actually put any real skin in the game, to your point. Right. It's it's just about, oh, let me have this conversation over here in a safe place where it's gonna be rewarded. Right. I'm I'm gonna get a high five.
1: I can talk about race with my black friend.
0: Right. Exactly. And and so I'm really glad that we're already sort of getting into that because basically what you're doing is planting seeds for a future episode.
2: I also think that I hate this point. Let me let me start with that. I absolutely hate this point. I hate to say it. I hate to even believe that it's necessary. It honestly makes my skin crawl. But even in that, I recognize how necessary it actually is. There are people, and this is is a second wave to the emotion and the feeling we just talked about, but there are people who exist in this world who we, as in black people in this country, need to be humanized against, right? There are people who they may not say that we are animals. They may not act openly as if we are animalistic, But someplace inside, on either a conscious or an unconscious level, they look at us as less than, less than them, less than people who look like them, in some cases less than human. And those allies who carry that message back also bear a responsibility to humanize us. And again, as much as I hate to say that because we are human and therefore we should be treated as such, there are those people where that message has to be carried and it has to come from someone who has that card, who has access to that room, who has the trust of those people and who can speak directly from one heart to another, hopefully.
0: I think the second thing that's always sort of been apparent to me is maybe the more obvious one, which is that reflection is not actually doing the work. It is thinking about why the work is needed. It is thinking about how you can do it and where to start, but it is not in and of itself the work. And I think the quote that comes to mind for me on this one is from James Baldwin. And let's just take a minute for James Baldwin having exactly the right words for every Black emotion. Listen, always, always ready. He said, you always told me it takes time. How much time do you want for your progress? And I really want these words to play on repeat in the minds of self-proclaimed allies when it comes to taking action on racial justice. Yes, it's important to read books and reflect on systemic racism, but if we can be really real, reading books about race and thinking about them was the assignment back in April when we first found out about what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. It was definitely the assignment in May when George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's murders hit the news cycle, but we're now in 2021. It's been months since the quote unquote global reckoning on race it's just no longer acceptable to say that reading is the thing that you're doing. If you're asked what you're doing to advance racial justice, we're off reading. You, you should have already read. And you know, Vince, I wonder if you're still encountering people who want to be allies or think that they are allies and seem to be stuck in the research, read and reflect stage. And can you just talk about how that makes you feel when you encounter that?
2: I absolutely can. And The first thing I really want to comment on is, is that quote. Like, I love that quote, right? When he, when he goes in the the next few things, he says, he starts talking about, you know, my father's time, mother's time, uncle's time, brother's time. And then he says this line that that impacts me every time. And it's the way he says it. He says, how long do I have to wait for your progress, right? For, For your progress again, being very reflective, not our progress, yours, because it's not us that needs to change, build, grow, proceed in progress. It's the rest of the world around us. How much time do you need for your progress, for you to catch up and recognize who we are, how we are, why we are, for you to recognize that that we have a place here right beside you? And he's not saying that we're better or our place is higher or more elevated but that there is an equal attitude that should be recognized in our place. And that whole conversation about race, right? If you think about that quote, the entire conversation of race gets twisted and it gets changed into this idea that it is us that needs to make progress, right? When you think about this from like a human standpoint, why are we being measured for the progress we make in a world where it's people's negative feelings on our pure existence, the way I look, my skin color, the way my hair naturally grows from my head, why am I? Why are we being held accountable for progress in a world where we're not the ones lagging behind? That quote affects me every single time. Like it's, I've put it in wild black a couple of times. You mentioned Ahmad, and at the beginning of an episode we did with Ahmad, I started with that quote. And I, and I know you had a question, and I'm sorry that I'm kind of going off the rails a little bit, but that quote is so powerful to me. and And, and I'll even relate it back to the last question, right? it's It's our allies' job and responsibility to also drive home the message that it is not our progress that needs to be had. Progress is not our mandate. It is not where we need to be. We have progressed. We are here. right? We were born. We were created. By God, we are placed in this country, albeit under circumstances that I'm sure we would rather have happen another way. But regardless, we are here. We have contributed. We are members of the society. Why do we have to progress? I censored myself. Did you feel that? Why do we have to progress? Why can't others around us accept our position? Why can't they be more progressive in the way they view us and look at us and, and rate our relationships and our impact? Why is it that we have the progress? Forgive me, I went so far. I forgot your question. What was your question again?
0: Listen, you got there in a different way. And I think the way that I'll <laughs> say it now is that I think part of it, part of what you're saying is that there is a fire beneath a quote like that. And that fire is around you know those words that you highlighted, your progress. Your progress cannot be fully encapsulated and captured just in reading, researching, and reflecting right? It has to be encapsulated in action. And I think that what we, you know, many of us are tired of is this feeling that the progress is always delayed. There's always some reason why it can't happen fast enough and it hasn't happened yet. And just be patient, just be patient. I, you know, so many of us as black people endure this and I myself have heard it so many times. And I think part of what needs to change in the mentality is, one, to your point that it is not Black people that need to become something different. That's actually not what we're talking about. And that there needs to be some urgency on the part of people who would call themselves allies to speed their way towards this progress, to not sort of dilly-dally to not sort of be thinking and reflecting and contemplating and reading and considering and wondering and all of those things. It's like get into the action part. We need that part to actually move forward. It's no longer acceptable to say that reading is the thing that you're doing if I ask you what you're doing to advance racial justice. We're done reading. You you should have already read. So I'm wondering if, John, even in the work that you're doing and just being so outspoken on social justice and racial justice in general. If you feel like you're still encountering people who either are sort of proclaiming themselves to be allies, but are only talking about, here's the new book I'm reading and I saw this piece of research and I'm thinking about this and about that. Can you just talk about if you are encountering those people and sort of how that makes you feel right now at this moment?
1: To be honest with you, I, I, you know, the reading research people, you're exactly right. Like, you know, over the summer, it was very difficult for myself and probably every black person that you know who has white friends, because every other day someone was calling you or calling me and and asking you to talk about the racism and all this other stuff. And really, really, it wasn't about education. It was more so about like, please confirm the fact that I'm that you don't think that I'm racist and I'm not racist. Please, please do that for me. Like, please validate the fact that I'm not racist for me. Right. And when you told them, hey, look, you have racial bias, it's inherent. I, as a black person, have racial bias against myself in the United States of America. Right. It is inherent. And what was so heartbreaking about this summer is when you started to see how deep that inherent bias ran. Right. When I started to see what we as black people understood, you know, light skinned black people, or mixed race black people being prejudiced against in the workplace, high end high level workplaces. I have friends who I never thought would experience certain levels of racism because I thought they were quote unquote white friendly, right? Or experiencing similar things that I had experienced in the workplace. And to to open my eyes to that because I didn't come from a whole lot of privilege and I, and I see other people coming from it, I mean and, and having you suffer the same things from the best law schools, business schools in the world, And experience the same things is, God, wow, this is so disheartening because this is so deep. And what I would say is, hey, listen, if we're watching and we're looking at friends, friends we consider on the left or whatever, and they're doing the reading phase and they're in the inaction phase, they're choosing not to act. They want to understand race in a deeper level so they understand how they can continue to use race for their benefit and make it look like they are allies. And I will tell you just how I live my life. I don't listen to people's words. I watch their actions, right? And so if I've got a white friend, if i got a black friend, right, because there are black friends who are privileged and are in positions of power who like that money, like that position of power, and we will happily reinforce patriarchal values for their own benefit and their gain, right? As long as they're not threatening their perch, and they can, you know, help somebody here and there, just to look like there's something. But not everybody on 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 end, right? Look, like I watch those actions of my friends either way, and that tells me the truth about them.
0: I agree with you. Like We cannot be fooled by people who are forever, forever, forever reading and researching and not acting. But I want to point out that reflection and action are not mutually exclusive. I think we're spending time here to talk about why reflection alone will not do it and laying out this funnel. But in reality, some of these steps need to be taking place simultaneously. I think that both allyship and being an accomplice and being an anti-racist really do require consistent commitment to reflecting and reflecting again and again and going deeper before you respond. Like over the summer, one of the things that I shared with some of my friends on social media and people that follow me was like, you know, for all of the white people who felt like, you know, a veil was pulled from their eyes this summer, I was like, let's go deeper. I want you to find out where were your parents or your grandparents when the civil rights movement was happening what were they doing you need to know that right because we can't just all arrive in 2020 and, and feel like now it's okay there was a civil rights movement in the 60s like real quick check where were your parents what were they doing that's the level of depth so i'm curious john if you can talk a little bit about how Being willing to do that type of deep reflection on your own privilege, your upbringing, where your parents were in different movement moments, like all of those things, how do you feel like that can lead to better, to being a better accomplice, to being a better anti-racist, whatever you want to call it?
1: Well, I mean, that sort of reflection provides context, right? You know, and if you've read books like, you know, The Holy Hill is a Law of Success or, you know, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, these books both talk about Reflection at the end of a work day. At the end of a work day, write down your thoughts. Reflect on the day. What did you do well? What didn't you do well, right? So that you can kind of analyze it and see it and be better for the next day. You're absolutely right when you say, look, hey, let's have these both parts of this growth happen at the same time. Action and reflection, right? That's a very effective way to grow as an individual, as a person, right? And so I have no problems with that as long as they're taking the action as well. And as a matter of fact, it makes you a better actor. And so to go back and look at, you know, where our families were, where our parents were, as we try to grow in this journey, because we have to understand, right? Like if you can look at your parents, right? Look at their, look at the time and the content, like contextualize who they were at that time, right? And the pressures that they had to not act. If you're a white person, if you're, you know, at that time, it would have been way harder to take action than it is now right but then you go and you say okay well how are they as people are they happy about that how do they feel about that i would ask them right and and take that into the self because you know 2020 is is, is, is as many similarities as we do have for 1964 1968, and 2020 2020 was a an inflection point in the united states of america's history uh, president being elected with more than 80 million b- votes for the first time in history. We are we are simply at an, ele- an inflection point. So I, I would say, okay, let me contextualize that. Let me see how they felt over th- these past few years so that you can really understand no matter what, how their inaction is affecting you.
0: I'm wondering, Vince, if you can talk a little bit about how you think that reflection on the part of allies can actually lead to better allyship or better anti-racism.
2: I think if people actually take a moment, sit down and reflect on what it means, reflect on the need, reflect on the fight, reflect on the, I wish you could see my air quotes, the the progress that's been made, that the human side would kick in, right? Going back to the context of humanity, right? And, and, And our humanity needed to be proven to other groups of people. As much as I can rant about the issues in the country, as much as I can talk about how I at times question the soul of the people who comprise this country, I do at some very deep level, believe in the power and the positivity of humanity, even though historically we collectively as humanity have done a horrible job, I guess this answer isn't all that short, have done a horrible job of proving that out. Maybe it's the design in me, maybe it's the God in me, but there are pieces of me who believe that when a person, no matter who you are, no matter what your experiences in this world are, no matter what your belief system is, that if you truly are introspective and spend the time reflecting on this topic, The combination of introspective reflection, I feel like the human in you has to kick in and there has to be some type of awakening that forces you to look at the world through a different set of lenses so that you can see people and appreciate people differently. Maybe that's the God in all of us, right? Maybe there are a bunch of people who walk the walk and talk the talk in one position, but haven't been activated inside of themselves enough to recognize what reality should be, enough to recognize that equality's here. You just have to allow access to it, right? Because the flip side of that is the opposite side to that James Baldwin quote is a quote by Tupac. And quote is the, the wrong word. There's a short conversation by Tupac where he talks about being outside of a room. And in that room, there are people just throwing food around. And he, as a a Black American, as a Black person in America, is is hungry, right? He's starving and he can see through the window that all this food is being thrown around. And I I won't go through the whole thing, but I, I would encourage your listeners to go to YouTube and type in Tupac food speech. But in that, he talks about his music, and the elevation of his music. He talks about when he first gets to that window and he's hungry and he sees the food being thrown around, he's knocking on the door and he's saying, you know, I'm hungry, please let me in. But they ignore him. And 10 minutes later or or 10 years later or or 20 years later, the song that he's singing has gone from, you know, we are hungry, please let us in to something more hard to eventually it grows into the into the point where his lyrics then turn into... I'm picking the lock coming through the door blasting, right? That's the part that really concerns me. If there's not enough reflection, if there's not a, enough introspective thought, what happens when we all get to the point that we're picking the lock coming through the door blasting, right? You're starting to see it in our communications. You're starting to see it reflected back to us in society and in, in entertainment, right? We can I can name several books in which we fight back in a way, right? The movie American Skin in itself, is, is about fighting back. And whether you like the way the movie was written, you agree with the choices, the one thing you have to recognize is in our society, oftentimes, it is the arts and the entertainment that reflect a mood for the moment. And if we're seeing movies made and books written and poems about this pent-up, fed-up nature, picking the lock, coming through the door, blasting, if there's not that this answer is really not short. If there's not that introspective reflection, then when we get to that point what happens then? Right? That's a dangerous place to
0: be. We've talked about, you know, moving from allyship to to being a true accomplice, but I'm wondering sort of on the flip side, can you think about a time where you've seen someone who either aspires to be an ally or even aspires to be a, an accomplice really springs into action and you just cringe because whatever they were doing was deeply unproductive and they just had no idea?
1: Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, that's that, that's really interesting because being a person from where I'm from and then going to Stanford University, I had a lot of friends of privilege and privilege mm-hmm. on the left. And what I've learned and what I will say is this, I got into an argument with this friend once where we were talking about the Zuckerberg Chan Initiative when that came out, right? And from my perspective, I go well. I, you know, I, I've studied Zuck's history, know a little bit about Zuck. How he stole his idea and all this other stuff. Blah blah. blah. I'm sure, Facebook's great and all this other things. But I also understand tax law, right? And what you see a lot from very privileged, wealthy, leftists, progressive whites, which you know MLK talked about in his letter from uh, you know uh, Birmingham, is virtue signaling. And that was a terminology that I kind of learned specifically how to say what that was this year. I was like, Look, virtue, virtue signaling is a real thing. Right. And so what you see a lot of times is, you know, a virtue signal or, or basically control gu- guised as virtue. So the Zuckerberg Chan initiative, we spent a spent hundred million dollars over to Cory Booker in Newark when he was early on, when Newark, when uh, Cory was the mayor and, you know, Cory's a separate football player like myself. And that $100 million just caused chaos in that system because Zuck didn't know how to respect the people who had been doing the business and the work of being able to, to utilize funds in a positive way or to make positive impact and change in their own communities right? for years and years. But because they're not educated at the highest levels in the high schools or they're not people that he relates to or understands, he doesn't give them the respect of saying, You've lived your life to be an expert at this, but I'm rich and, and smart, so I'm just going to throw my money into something, and that's going to change it, right? That happens all the time on the left, and it's getting worse and worse as wealth inequality continues to gain because these people are figuring out ways to not use their money, for, like put it in a ta- be, be taxed to where it actually flows and operates in the way that the system allows it to do, and then basically benevolence. Become something that to the, let these people, you know, determine and dictate what is how people should live.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that what's interesting is that so many times when you see actions like this, I feel reasonably confident that no true, you know, reflection was done. No conversation was had with the community meant to be impacted. No resources, no like you came in with an idea. Right? A paper thin level of awareness that, oh, there's this problem. It seems like money can solve it. Here you go. And it's like, wait a minute. This conversation is not about sort of like, now I'm afraid to act because I know that like I might mess up and that's bad. I think what we're talking about is actually there are lessons to be learned even in those stumbles. And it should really prompt you to go back to reflection. So instead of flaring up in frustration or anger, like it's impossible, I can't do anything right. Take a step back to think about, you know, what can this moment teach me? And especially if someone is kind enough to say, hey, I see where you were going with that. And I think that that's not the most productive use of your time or your resources or your allyship, while at the same time holding in your head that exactly to Vince's point, black people do not owe you that service. It is not a service that we must perform. And there are other ways to become informed, educated and activated. But when you do have the opportunity and someone believes in you and trusts you enough to give you feedback, on your well-intentioned allyship. Consider it a tremendous gift and think about, to Vince's point, the limited time that they have and the time that they are spending on you is such a gift and to really, you know, make it count. Actually also just want to build on that by sharing, you know, a positive example, because I always like to give people a blueprint to what does good look like or what can good look like? So an instance of where I really saw reflection and action really paired. A former colleague of mine, who's a white man, reached out to me and said, you know, he recently hired an amazing black woman on his team, but then context in the organization shifted and he knew he was going to have to do some reorganization and potentially layer this person and was worried about that because he'd put a lot of time and intention in building this role for this person, a really impactful role that was going to have a lot of visibility with him. And so he asked me my perspective, and we kind of talked through a few options to help ensure that he took a really strategic approach to organizing the team that was focused on the business impact, but also wasn't blind to how those changes might disproportionately affect someone on his team who's already a part of a very underrepresented minority. In the company and as such might be someone for whom visibility and access to leadership is actually very important. And so what I love about this example is that this is someone who has been doing their own work for a while now to sort of raise their own consciousness, to be more thoughtful as a leader about how race impacts the people on his team. And so they had their own trigger, their own moment of recognizing that, uh, I wonder if there's an additional impact of this change that might impact, you know, people of color on my team in a way that is not immediately apparent to me. And then once he had that thought, he didn't keep it to himself. He really reached out for support from someone that he had a relationship with and considered sort of what it would mean to actively try to show up for an ally for this person on his team and a sponsor for their career. I hope by this point in the show, we have a lot of people listening who are anxiously wondering if they accidentally got stuck in just reflection and reading and they're eager to move forward. So in the next few shows, we're gonna unpack our definition of effective allyship and then ultimately anti-racism. So we're getting there. But before we do, John, I'd love to know what advice do you have for people who aspire to be more active and effective accomplices, let's say? who want to take some action right now. They're listening and they're like, "Damn, that's me. I'm thinking, I'm reflecting, and I'm not doing it." Like, what feels most urgent to you at this moment that you would urge them to sort of take action here now?
1: Okay, so honestly, thank you, thank you for that. And and honestly, hope is a wonderful thing. Don't use racial bias for your own advantage or your gain, right? I will say in my own life what I've had to teach myself is when I look at people of color, is to give twice the benefit of the doubt as I would give anyone twice because wherever they are on if they're on my my level in my space and we're working together whatever it is they've had to work twice as hard to get there just like I had to right and no one else above us is going to give them two chances no one's going to give me two chances right i get less than half and i'll tell you that's the truth and so what it all comes down to, and I think this is an underlying theme of most of this podcast, which has been phenomenal, is it's down to communication, right? In any relationship, and everything that we do is about relationships. Communication is the first step and the number one step of everything. Seek you first to understand, right, to, in order to feel like you can be understood, right? So when you can communicate with another person, you can create with another person, you can create a a new language, a real relationship and real activity and feel like you've done something on both sides. But without that communication, right? You're just arrogant or you're lying to someone else or you're lying to yourself. And you're really not willing to do the work that's necessary
2: to build a better world. I apologize ahead of time. This one is a super short answer. Allies, get your shit together. Yes. Just get your sit together. Do the work.
0: I don't think it can be said much better than that. So we're going to call it. Reflection is so important, but it is not enough on its own. You really need to keep moving through the funnel in order to unlock truer, deeper allyship and ultimately anti-racism. So I want to thank my guests. John and Vince so much for coming by and dropping so much knowledge on us today. Before we go, please tell everyone how they can follow you and your work, Vince.
2: Absolutely. I would love it if you took a chance, took a moment, took a second to become more aware of the Wild Black Podcast, W-H-I-L-E Black Podcast. You can find us on just about every podcast streaming platform. You can follow us on Instagram, which is our most active community at while W-H-I-L-E underscore black. And I look forward to chatting with you and seeing you in the community.
1: First of all, let me say I'm honored to be here. It's a pleasure to be able to speak with you and and
2: your listeners.
1: And thank you so much for the work that you've done and that you continue to do because it's so necessary. You can find me basically on Instagram at, at, at @the.alston I'm just starting to tweet. I'm not a big social media person, but I'm just starting to tweet, you know, Johnstone Sto- John says, but, you know, look out for Augustus. In my next film, I am working on is the story of Bruce Franks Jr., which is an amazing story. I mean, uh, his story was uh, nominated for, for an Oscar last year at St. Louis, man. We're turning that to a feature film. And and what people really need to understand is when you got a guy that has tattoos on his face, born from nothing, was a battle rapper and was inspired to go out there and become an activist in Ferguson and then said, hey, look, there's another way A better way to do this, and he ran for office, right? He you you saw him and you saw the routine aldridges and you saw the Corey Bushes come from this type of activism. That is the future of America. So that is the story that I want to tell. So once again, at the Austin on Instagram, at Augustus underscore film, you can find, and at Johnstone says on Twitter.
0: I love it. I love it. Thanks again. So We've made it through level four of six. Next time we're jumping into allyship, what it looks like, how to do it well, how to make it not performative and why that's not the end of the journey either. We have some amazing guests coming up to help us break it down so you won't wanna miss it. Till then, I encourage you all to think about where you are in this journey and commit to taking one more step in the direction of going deeper in the funnel. I'm your host, Kamala Avila-Salmon, and this has been From Woke to Work. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us and for making it this far. As always, I'm Kamala Avila Salmon, and you can follow me on social media at the Real KS One. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts, and don't forget to rate us to help more people find the show. From Woke to Work was produced by me, Kamala Avila Salmon, in partnership with Julian Lewis and TJ Bonaventura at Studio Pod. Edits were made by Nota Lab. Our amazing artwork was designed by Tommy Gomez. And this fire track I'm speaking on was produced by Dave Contrap. Until next time.